You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 262nd edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 863rd episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of September 1st, 2022. That's right, we are in September. I'm your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. Oh, Hoosiers have won the national championship. Well, it was another slow week for Indiana basketball, but I think there was one very notable thing that happened, and that is Jalen hood Shafino being chosen to participate in the Chris Paul Elite Guard Camp. Uh, that took place August 25th through the 28th in Los Angeles. And, you know, I think this is important for, for one very important reason, which is that, you know, we know that Indiana's guard play has to improve for this program to take the next step. You know, Indiana has gotten good play in the post uh, for several years now, but has just always seemed like, you know, even in a Big Ten conference that hasn't really had elite-level guard play nationally, Indiana's guard play in that conference has still been below par. And so the guard play has to improve. And so as we enter this season, you know, coming off a season in which Xavier Johnson, you know, obviously really came along toward the end of the season uh, and is, you know, the best pure point guard Indiana has had since Yogi Ferrell. Now you add to that the highest ranked recruit in the Big Ten Conference, and he's a versatile combo guard. And that is what Jalen Huchafino is. And that's an important step for this program to improve their guard play. And so Jalen Huchafino, not just his presence, but him continuing to get opportunities like this one, at a prestigious camp like the Chris Paul Elite Guard Camp, opportunities to challenge himself and to improve, that is another step in the right direction. And obviously, if Jalen is ready to hit the ground running as a freshman, which most people think he will be, there have been no reports, no whispers, no anything to to tamp down you know the hype around him. And I think it's important to keep that in perspective. Uh, but he does seem like a guy who should be ready to, at a minimum, contribute from day one well, he has the potential to change that narrative around IU basketball and to improve the guard play uh, to a point where Indiana may well have the best backcourt in the Big Ten. It remains to be seen. It has to be proven on the court, and he's a guy that we haven't seen play yet. Uh, but from his recruiting rankings to what everybody says to opportunities like this Chris Paul guard camp, you have to feel good about where he is and the potential that he has, even from day one as a freshman, to make a huge impact uh, on the results for Indiana basketball. All right, now let me introduce my co-host for this week. Andy is off. Coach is off. They are getting mentally prepared for another season of Indiana football. Coach is actually at Ross-Aid Stadium watching the Boilermakers take on Penn State tonight. Uh, But they're getting ready for the beginning of Indiana football, another season of Indiana football on Friday night. But here with me is a man who really can't even begin thinking about getting mentally prepared for football season when he's so mentally drained and exhausted from a baseball season gone awry in San Diego. 
which for the record is still about 12 games better than the disaster on the south side of Chicago that I follow. So I don't even know what I'm talking about. Uh, but it is, ladies and gentlemen, you know who it is. Analyzing players, finding every wrinkle. He hasn't ever hosted, never lifted a finger. He's got all the well, let me quickly add just one thing about this. Dude just interrupted his own jingle. Ryan, when you got on here pre-show, you said you were just stewing with a rant that's just been bubbling all week. Well, first of all, you want to lay that on us? First of all, I think we need to address the baseball thing. How much trash did we talk to each other before the season about (laughs) whose team was going to be better? And they're both awful. What a disaster. And what what an utter disaster. And the the Padres disaster isn't nearly as bad as the White Sox disaster. No, and they're, they're still clinging to a wild card, but there's still a month left in the season. There's still plenty of time for more to go wrong. So uh, I'm not exactly yeah. optimistic uh, about their chances. Uh, yeah. yeah. My, the rant I was doing on was Jared. Last <laughs> week that I can even talk about. There's no, there's nothing going on. So my rant is, Hey, Indiana basketball, do something. Like, I don't know. I, like, Actually, we, we don't want them doing no, anything at this them. time no, of year. It's perfectly back. fine. Given our recent history, let's let's take that back. Do nothing. I'll, I'll, I'll just suffer through not having anything to speak about. Um, but, yeah, it's just been a slow week. There's really been nothing going on. I think a lot of the focus is football, and um, we're just kind of inching towards – uh, the, uh, the basketball season eventually. Um, so I think that's why we turned this, turn this show into a, into a question and answer show, just because we already did trivia and, uh, there's, there's and I won and they don't want to do it again because I won. So, uh, yeah, we'll do no, it again. We will. We'll uh, do it again. Um, but yeah, we'll, we're just sort of, sort of inching along towards basketball. You're right. No news is good news. Um, Especially with the roster in place and all of that, uh, we'd really like uh, we'd really like to to just start getting some leaks about what's going on on campus and and what guys are are looking like. Yes, um, let's see. Great quote here from Coach, who just tuned into the show. Said, "I need to tune in to see friendly faces because this place sucks." Uh, Purdue in parentheses. That's great. Uh, and then Brian says, hope Ryan brought a blanket. Jared hasn't been on in a month. What, what am I missing? What does that mean? Do you have a lot to talk about? I guess I, a I blanket. Don't know. Yeah. Like you need to curl up and go to sleep yeah. or the takes. I don't know. Uh, Explain uh, yourself. Explain yourself, Brian. Let us know what's happening with that. Um, all right. Here's what we have in store this week. There were actually a few headlines, and we will go through those headlines. Uh, and then we're turning it over to you, listener mailbag. We definitely have two segments uh, worth of questions, and so we will hit those uh, this evening, going through, have some fun doing that. All of that is coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. But now we want to talk about our presenting sponsor, which is Home Field Apparel. Uh, and man, I, you know, you're right, Brian. I haven't been on in a few weeks, and I feel like Home Field Apparel has just like gone to the next level since then. Since I've been out, they released a couple new Big Ten schools. They released the Colts, the Indianapolis Colts. So apparently, they're getting into the NFL now. And I don't know, Ryan, if you saw, but the bomber jacket that they had for the Colts. I mean, I'm not a Colts fan, but if I were, I would definitely be buying that jacket. It looked awesome. Uh, And then just today, they announced their core collection, which is all of their materials, the T-shirts, the hoodies. You can get them without the logos on them. So, you know, if you're going somewhere where it's not appropriate to have a big sneering bison on your shirt, 
you can just have one of their comfortable t-shirts and wear it without anything on it. Uh, so Homefield Apparel, they just continue to expand. I mean, a relentless apparel company with comfortable stuff that lasts through many washings, amazing logos, just everything there is fantastic. Uh, use our promo code HOME, H-O-M-E, and you will get 15% off your first order. Now is a great time to stock up on IU gear for the football season, to get ready for basketball season. If you don't have your bison hoodie yet or some of those other items, you need to get them. It's homefieldapparel.com. Promo code is HOME. You will get 15% off. Uh, and we, of course, highly recommend them uh, and buy as much of our apparel as we can from the good folks at Homefield Apparel. So go to homefieldapparel.com, promo code HOME, 15% off that first order. Uh, okay, Ryan, let's talk about a few of the news items that came out. Uh, the first one is the Blue Ribbon Preseason Magazine, perhaps the most prestigious of the preseason magazines. They released their preseason top 25, and they had Indiana. Do you know where they had Indiana? Uh, top 15, I think I saw. I don't yes. remember the number. They had Indiana at number 12, uh, which seems about right to me. I think if you told me, like, I don't think, I don't buy this Indiana team yet as a top 10 team, although I think they have the potential to get there if the freshmen come around, if Tamar Bates breaks out, sure. all that stuff. But I do think that you can reasonably slot them in anywhere from 12 to 17 or 18, probably. And yeah. I don't think I, I mean, would 10, argue with that. 10 to 20 is what I was saying. You know, anywhere in there, it's yeah. really your your preference. I mean, that's that's the block of teams that are in their tier, I think. And yeah. you, I mean, if they were 10, you'd be like, wait, what? That's That might be a little but you know, I mean, it's... 20, you'd be, maybe that's a little low, you know, but it's, I haven't seen them play yet. So it's really about tiers and it's about talent. And I think that that's, that's the right area for them. Yeah. So, you know, again, I think on the high side of, you know, of where I would have them. So that's good. And there were three other big 10 teams in blue ribbons, top 25, Michigan, Illinois, Michigan state, uh, between 15 and, and 25, somewhere in there. So four teams in the big 10. Um, but you know, there are no preseason publications that have any Big Ten teams in the top 10. You know, most have Indiana as the top Big Ten team, none in the top 10. So it's going to be, you know, obviously a really interesting season uh, where it seems wide open. And Indiana has the best combination of talent and experience, which is why they are getting the benefit of the doubt. But we're going to have to go prove it on the court. Uh, but I think we're all pretty optimistic about what this team can do if we make it to November healthy and have everybody ready to go. Well, what's what's interesting, Jared, is we're now at 22 years. It'll be 23 since a Big Ten team won a championship. So they're not going to get the benefit of the doubt in preseason polls that often. Uh, you know, you have conferences that win titles tend to tend to be up there. It's not about the quality of the conference overall. It's about where you think they're going to finish. And if Big Ten teams aren't performing in the tournament as well, they're not going to be preseason top 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 teams. I mean, it's it's whether it's a bias or not, it's true. I mean, we both know it's true. No, I know. It is true. You know, and that stat about no Big Ten team winning, I mean, it is what it is. Like, it's just, it's a fact. It yeah. hangs over the conference like an There's albatross. There's reasons and everything. Yeah, I do think it's misleading, you know, because I it think is. it gets, it hangs out there, you know, like, well, the conference just hasn't been good. But it's like, man, no, the conference has had some conference. great teams that, you know, that didn't win. But they knew they just need to win one. 
And yeah. I kind of have this feeling that, you know, they'll have this big 23, 24 year drought. And then the big 10 may win like two or three out of six or something. Yeah. Cause the law and of the averages question, come around. The question that's always floated out there is the big 10 teams beat each other up and then they're, they're, they're done come tournament time. And I don't know if I buy that, but it, it seems like Michigan state's the only program that seems to survive to the final four consistently. Um, everyone else seems to bow out, especially when they're touted. Uh, usually when a big 10 team makes it, I feel like they're kind of surprise people. Um, but also if some people think that might be it, they, or is it the fact that, you know, they just aren't, the conference doesn't lend itself to a tournament atmosphere um, for whatever it is, whether it's scheduling or whatever. I, and I don't know. I mean, these are, these are, these are things that are posited by people. I don't know what the answer is. I think the, here, I think the two biggest factors are bad luck and yeah, not enough high end talent. Honestly, I think those are the two biggest factors because I think there have been teams that could have won it. And then this wouldn't be a narrative, but the big 10 also probably hadn't, hasn't had as many cracks at it as it should because the Big Ten just doesn't get as many McDonald's All-Americans anymore, you know? So that is part of it. But anyway, hopefully play, uh, Indiana can be part of the solution to that here in the next few years, which would be great. Uh, so I don't know if you saw this, but there is a new transfer window. Uh, I believe it goes into effect next season. Uh, and so the new transfer window, and this applies for all sports. Um, the time of the window is a little bit different for fall and winter, uh, but they all have this window now where <clears> – <throat> To get the one-time immediate uh, uh, eligibility transfer, the player has to notify their school within 60 days after championship selections are made for their sport. So for basketball, that means the Monday after selection Sunday, and then you have 60 days from there to notify your school that you want to transfer. And then after that, the, the window is closed. Either. Yes, and you, to, and you wouldn't be able to be eligible immediately. Uh, and it'll be interesting. A couple of factors to think about with this. Number one, it means that a lot of this stuff is going to happen, be happening while teams are still playing in the NCAA tournament. And so if you're making a deep run, you know, I don't know if coaches are how focused coaches are going to be on this, but there's going to be a real head start in terms of the transfer window for, you know, teams that, that their seasons have ended. Uh, although they ostensibly aren't going to be as attractive a destination for potential transfers. So there's going to be a, a, a high concentration of, you know, visits and people figuring stuff out in April. And how is that going to affect, you know, April recruiting when a lot of coaches are on the road and a lot of coaches are focusing more now on transfers than high school recruits. And I know I saw Matt Norlander who tweeted this out, you know, had a note from a coach that talked about that and how this is really going to affect the number of kids that get seen in April because coaches are going to be so focused on transfers, you know, with, uh, you know, with this window there. Um, yeah, because, I, you know, because once guys announce that they're going to be a transfer, they want to take visits and get their decision made so they can figure out where they're going to go. So it's not a thing, window for when they have to decide. It's the window for announcing, but it's right. still going to compress everything. Yeah. And, and one thing that's, that's interesting, for almost two years, people have been talking about this upcoming transfer class. And then came around, had a first year, second year, whatever. There's expected to be a massive amount of transfers coming up for kids who maybe were freshmen, become sophomores, don't play or don't fit uh, again this year, maybe feel like their situation hasn't gotten better. Uh, it is expected that it's going to be transfer Palooza this year specifically, even more than in the past. And there's going to be a lot of high end talent transferring this time. 
It's just what's projected. But behind the scenes, people have been talking about this for 18 months, that this coming class would be ridiculous for transfers. And so um, we'll see how it plays out. Maybe guys wind up happy. Maybe more guys jump to the NBA than thought or something, or maybe they go overseas, whatever it is. But this transfer class is expected to be enormous and consequential. Yep. And the other bit of news, uh, and hey, this also involves an assembly call audience member, uh, our buddy Patrick elbows in. Uh, but I don't know if you saw this, but Indiana uh, officially launched their uh, Indiana Hoosiers NIL marketplace on Open Doors, uh, which is very nice. Uh, I'm looking at it now. It's essentially, you know, what this does is essentially it opens up NIL opportunities to anybody. Um, you know, so similar to how you could go on Cameo before uh, and get a message recorded. I'm looking at Anthony Leal's page right now, and he's got, you know, the price there if you want to get a shout out, uh, if you want him to make an appearance, if you want to do an autograph, if you want him to pitch something, everything is there with the prices. So if you are a small business owner and you want to hire an Indiana athlete, not just basketball, but, you know, all sports are on there, uh, you can go to... Uh, the IU Hoosiers NIL marketplace on Open Doors uh, and find the players that that you want to do and get it for what looks like reasonable prices. So whether you're a business or maybe you know you want to have Anthony Leal record a birthday message for Jay Horry, for example, um, you know which I'm sure would be very well received, then you could go do that as well. Um, so lots of cool stuff on there. Kudos uh, to Patrick, who I know has been working really hard on that uh, as part of the Open Doors team. Very proud of him and the work he's put in. Uh, and cool to see Indiana, uh, you know, continue to take important steps forward when it comes to NIL. Uh, Ryan, any other news items on your docket that you would like to cover? Not really this week, Jared. I think I, I think I went over that. I had not a whole lot going on. Uh, ready for college football to start this weekend. I think we all are. And uh, that'll be a nice distraction. Uh, go, go Hoosiers. I don't know what to expect at all. At all. right. All. So- Let's end segment one talking a little football um, because I was having a conversation uh, with someone on text today, uh, a prominent media member whose opinions folks would respect. And we basically both agreed that we can't remember another sports season where it felt like there was so much riding on the first game. And obviously football is going to lend itself to that because it's such, you know, it's a short season. So basketball and baseball, you know, you're never going to have, you know, the first game mean that much NFL. There's obviously more games, but I don't think I've ever, you know, for any college football team I've been following. And I guess if you're competing for a national championship, then every game has massive meaning, but it really does feel like a ton is riding on this game. Do you get that same sense that it really can be a tone setter you know, you, you need a win here at home to kind of wash away some of the bad taste from last year, turn the page, get some positive momentum. And it kind of feels like if you lose it, it just allows everything from last year to come rushing forward into this season. And if you can just go out and get a win, it kind of shuts the door on some of that stuff and you can start fresh. Yeah, of course it does. Because people want to know, was last year a fluke or was the, the pandemic year a fluke? And really nobody knows. And uh, it's going to be real tough to know heading into that game, it was always going to be tough to know all off season. And the, the program had some recruiting momentum and things like that. And then last year happens and you just don't know what's, you know, what's up, what's down with the program. And I think that facing Illinois, a team that should be, you know, in the bottom half of the big 10 at home to open the season 
if you're going to do something this year, you know, have a good record, go to a good bowl, all of that, you know, you have to win this game. It's at home. You got to win your home games against teams of this caliber. And uh, yeah, I think a lot is riding on this and a lot's riding on it for Tom Allen too, not just Indiana football. I will say this as my final thought, you know, on football is I've spent a lot of this offseason, like so many people, feeling pretty down, pretty pessimistic. Um, you know, and I would say overall, I'm still relatively pessimistic. And, you know, like if you made, you know, someone asked me how many games I think Indiana will win and my gut reaction was four. You know, that would be an improvement on last year, but not good enough to make a bowl. But I will say, man, we did a happy hour uh, inside of our community with Sammy from Hoosier Huddle. And I thought he made some great points about why there should be reasons for optimism. You know, this team does have a really experienced defense with guys who have who have winning experience. You know, to them, last year is the anomaly. Uh, you know, to a lot of us, you know, the, the two seasons of big success were the anomaly. But, you know, there's a lot of players here who have been successful, you know, playing football for Indiana. Um, and with Tom Allen taking over the defense, there should be a lot of improvement on that side of the ball, even losing Micah McFadden. You know, I think they still have a chance to improve on that side of the ball. And offense is obviously the big question. Um, but unlike some Indiana teams where it has felt like you entered the season with an empty cupboard, it does feel like there's talent there. Like there's dudes, there's guys who have transferred from big schools. There's guys who were important recruits. Now we didn't see much of it last year. You know, and so our lasting memory is just all this negativity. But I think Sammy brought up some some really good points that the talent is better. Um, you know, and so, again, if, if you can get some positive momentum in this first game, there are some reasons to cling to, uh, you know, why this, this team could bounce back. Um, someone says in the chat, Sammy is crazy. Maybe he is, but I appreciated his crazy, I have to say, because it, it – well, it was just it was a nice perspective shift because I think everything he said was reasonable and we're going to start finding out tomorrow what reality is. But it's really easy after a season like last season to just fall all the way to the side of the negative. Uh, and, you know, I think there are there has been some momentum that's not totally gone in terms of talent acquisition and some of the things this coaching staff has done. We'll see now once the games start. But I do think there are some reasons to think, hey, Maybe this isn't quite as bad as I expect it's going to be. The mistake last year was putting way too much faith in the fact that Michael Penix was going to have a repeat of his previous season. <laughs> I can't believe and people who did that. I mean, that's just insane. Because even in COVID year, he had that season and a lot of deep balls that were basically 50-50 balls winning in his way. When they tried that last year, it didn't work. The luck reversed. And he was a guy who was never really a super accurate passer and he had had injuries and all that. And it's just hard to rely on somebody like that. And I feel like people went all in on him and he didn't really develop as a passer. And that, that a lot of the offense was hinging on that. Now look, the offensive line was bad, all of that. But I just, I think that I kind of tempered expectations heading into last year for I said it on this show and I got, I got yelled down um, because it's hard to know what that guy was going to be because he got, I don't want to say he got lucky. He was a very talented kid who made some big time throws, but when you're winning on 50, 50 balls consistently in college and you have Indiana's talent level versus Ohio state, 
Iowa or whoever, that tends to not work out in the long run. Um, can you name the two the wins from last year? Uh, Western Kentucky and Idaho, I think. Good job. Yeah. Didn't win a Big Ten game. And didn't get a top draft pick for that tank of a season, unfortunately. So, yeah, here's hoping it's better. Let's, hey, we've got a chance. Let's wash the, the bad taste out of our mouths, get a new taste in our mouths tomorrow night, and hopefully it's a good one. Um, all right. Well, that concludes Who's Your Headlines and a little bit of football talk. It is time now, Ryan, to jump into some questions. And so we've got some IU questions, then we've got some non-IU questions. We'll hit the IU questions first in segment number two. That's next. Stick with us. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Ryan, can you entertain the folks for like 60 seconds while I go fill up my water bottle? Because I am, my throat is, I got a frog in there. I need to wash out. Go wash tell out. Us, tell a story. Talk Talk about something. Uh, my neighbor the below me is opening, is opening their garage right now. I don't know if you guys can hear that. It's very loud, though. Um Where's everybody going to watch? The game this weekend is is in, uh, in the chat, you know, have big plans other than Coach Tonsoni's tailgate, which everybody should stop by for. Uh, the assembly call tailgate is always there. Um, follow uh, Coach Tonsoni on Twitter. Like that. I, you know, I, I will say about this football season, I am 50-50 on it. I think it could be, and when I say successful, I mean like seven wins. I don't mean, you know, nine. Um, but I think uh, there is a greater chance that this is maybe a step back up as opposed to a jump back up. Um, but yeah, I'm 50-50 on which way this football season is going to go. I have no idea. Yeah. I'm excited to find out, you know. Excited yeah. See what they've got. I mean, I'll be excited until halftime. Yeah, we'll see how long the excitement lasts. (laughs) You know, a new season always brings with it some kind of hope. I know, as our buddy Scott would say, hope is not a plan. Sometimes hope's all you got, though. So we, you know, we're fans. Tom Allen's the one that has to have the plan. We can cling to some hope. So hopefully Tom Allen has the plan. Yeah. We will see. All right, let's jump in and answer some questions. Here we go. <clears throat> hey, guys, it's Gene Steratore, CBS officiating analyst and retired Big Ten basketball official. 
You know I have never listened to the assembly call, and to be honest, I don't intend to. But if you listen, make sure you ignore anything Ryan says about officiating. He's really good from the seat of his pants, but I wouldn't trust him on the court with a whistle around his neck. Time has proven him wrong on virtually everything. Take care. We'll talk soon. He was kind of right about Penix last year, though. Got to give him that. All right. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris. I'm here with Ryan Phillips, and we are answering your questions. So you sent in a bunch of good ones. Let's answer those, uh, and we will start, Ryan, with some IU basketball-related questions, because that's what we're here to do is talk IU basketball. So we will start here with a question from our buddy Bob. It's the dumb, 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 dumb question of the week. Yes, the dumb question of the week. He says, are IU's recent recruiting misses at least in part caused by previous recruiting hits? For example, maybe he can't promise as much playing time since we have studs like Jalen Huchofino and Malik Renault on the roster. And I guess he'd be talking about guys like Jamie Kaiser, Xavier Booker, I suppose you could consider that. Yeah, Power, the uh, DHS. I don't remember his name. I just remember his initials. He went to Maryland. Sorry to the DHS family. Um, I don't think they're watching. They went to Maryland. Uh, Probably not. (laughs) So I I will answer this. Uh, I am am kind of down on what the uh, staff did in this recruiting period. I think the 2023 class goes down as a – and let, I mean, they can still get Paige, which I think will be nice, um, but it's a down year, and I think they missed on some guys. And if you need a reason, it's because they didn't build the requisite relationships needed. I think they were indecisive on who they liked, who they didn't like. I also don't think they went all in on Xavier Booker. I don't think they did everything they could have done. I think he was there for the taking and could have been there for the taking, and they were indecisive on whether they wanted him. I understand people who like the way he plays and people who don't like the way he plays, but he's an incredibly talented player. And frankly, he makes you better. And it felt like they were indecisive on whether or not he would be one of their guys. Um, I think they went, part of the staff was really in love with Gabe cups and, and went hard after him. And I think getting Ja'Kai Newton was nice and all, um, but they missed on some guys, and I think they didn't build the relationships they needed to build. Uh, we've seen Woodson's style is not to be as heavily involved as some other coaches. Uh, whether that that has paid off in some short-term recruitments, but the long-term ones he hasn't hit, you know, as well. Uh, I think he needs to be more involved. Quite frankly. Um, he kind of seems to be a closer as opposed to a guy who's checking up on kids when a lot of the coaches he's going up against are involved from the jump. And we saw Archie Miller kind of do that too. It didn't work for Archie. And so we'll see how they're, you know, I mean, these are classes that the 2023 class was one that, you know, these relationships start being built when these kids are freshmen. And so this staff, some of these guys weren't there and Woodson wasn't there. And when those relationships were begun. So yes, they were behind a little bit, but they had a chance to close some guys, I think, and, and did not do as good a job uh, as they could have. And so the 2024 class is going to be in- incredibly important as is the transfer portal, because I think they missed on some guys this time. Yes. So that is why 
look, it is disappointing to miss on some of these guys, and it would have been great to bag a top 10 class. And look, you get Arrington Page to go with Gabe Cups and Ja'Kai Newton, and you don't get the shooter that you were looking for, but those are building block players, and that's still probably a top 20 class, and I think that's solid. But the staff is going to have to do some work in the transfer portal, and it seems like they're probably planning to. And the thing about this recruiting class, you know, in talking to, you know, some national recruiting experts like we had Rob Cassidy on the show a few weeks ago, and the consensus is that this is just not that great of a class. There's not a lot of top-end talent. It's really hard to figure out, you know, to separate guys. You know, is that in part because guys lost, you know, a year of development with COVID and all that? Maybe. But, you know, it's, it's difficult. And there so are good if, basketball if, players to be had, though. Well, of course, and, and I think and I think Indiana got two and may get a third. But I'm I'm not. I guess the point is I'm not as broken up about it because I think it gives the staff some spots to go out and be active in the transfer portal, and I think it's that's going to be really important. Go find a proven shooter who can step in from day one. Now, to Bob's specific question, you know, are the misses caused by previous recruiting hits? I don't. My answer so. to that is a resounding no. Because, you know, you know, there's, you know, guys who have exhausted their eligibility who were leaving, you know, there's a possibility that a guy like Jalen Hutchifino could leave, you know, you know, guys are going to transfer. So I don't think coaches and I don't think top high school recruits are really that worried about, you know, what the roster is going to look like next year, no. um, because it's so much in flux. And maybe there that's why be, Bob asked be, the question under the dumb question of the week banner. But there could I don't be, think that has anything to do with it there could be a minimum of four starters gone next year. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, no, I don't think that has anything to do with it. Plus with the transfer portal, you come in, anybody can leave too. I mean, I don't think playing time at, you know, advanced playing time, unless it's other recruits in your class. I don't think kids are worried about who's there and playing time uh, as much. So yeah, uh, it, it, I, I, it's a resounding, I agree with Jared, a resounding no on playing time being the issue. The other thing to keep in mind is that the staff did lay some important groundwork on some 2025 in-state kids, Jalen Harrelson and Trent Sisley, who, I mean, you know, they went hard at some of their games, you know, so they diverted some attention that could have gone to 2023 kids who, as you said, they were a little indecisive on for some in-state kids that are, you know, top 25 prospects right now. We'll see what happens down the road, but they certainly laid some important groundwork there. So, yeah, you would have liked to see this recruiting class be a little bit better, missed on some guys that you would have liked, and that's not great. But I think there are some extenuating circumstances that could mean that this all turns out okay in a year or two. We just have to see how it plays out. How do they do in the transfer portal, and do they land some of these longer-term you know, kids? We'll see. Next up, uh, we have this question. It's not that good, but it's not that bad. Question. Jay made sure that you were on the show before he asked this. This is like tossing you a piece of red meat. What's the ideal number of minutes Trace should play in the non-conference schedule? Ryan will place it somewhere between zero and ten. Cumulative. 25. Twenty-five a game. That's what I would say. About uh, you know you're gonna okay, play now, 30, in now, the big game you're gonna play thirty-five. There you go. Whatever. Okay. But twenty-five average out over these games because they don't have a tough non-conference other than those what three big games is it three four four i'm sorry four big games carolina um, arizona xavier, xavier I, forgot, I forgot xavier kansas yeah kansas. no i forgot i forgot the gavit games um 
yeah, you want to, he'll probably average 33 plus in those games, assuming no foul trouble. Um, but the other games, you know, against low level teams, you don't want him out for more than 22, 23 minutes. You've got guys. It. So, so the averaging 25 ish six over the course of the non-conference is fine. I do not want to see him out there for 38 minutes. Conference team. I don't, I don't care what the score is. Trust the guys you brought in to fill those minutes. I do apologize for Ryan's audio. It is cutting out a little bit. That's so, so weird. Some of those, I might... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the issue is, but it is, it is cutting it. out. If it gets worse, you may want to reboot. I'll restart. But we'll, we'll try to fight through it here. Um, okay. From... You're going to reboot? Back. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, Ryan, I'll be right back. I'll, I'll handle some of these questions here while he's gone. So from Josiah, question one, has anyone heard Xavier Johnson pronounce his own first name? I want to know whether it's officially Xavier or Xavier. I know people pronounce it differently. Uh, Phil had a great answer to this question. He said, the best basketball announcer in the world pronounced it like the university in Cincinnati, so Xavier, until he was corrected by the family. It is Xavier. Uh, yes, that is true, and I have heard uh, X pronounce his own name, and he has said it, uh, Xavier. So that is what it is. Uh, from Daniel... And we'll get Ryan's take on this, too, when he gets back. What should Xavier's consequences be for his illegal behavior? And so if you saw, I think he pled down so that it was a, a misdemeanor. It's not a felony um, for the reckless driving arrest that he had at the beginning of the offseason. Um, you know, I've said for a while now that I didn't think there would be a suspension. Um, this wasn't, I don't know this, you know, haven't heard this from anybody but given how long ago the offense was and the amount of time between the offense itself and the start of the season, and assuming it wasn't going to end up being a felony, which it didn't end up being, it didn't make sense to me that there would be a punishment at the start of the season. I figured it would be handled internally, you know, whatever it is, running, you know, some kind of punishment I'm sure happened, uh, but it didn't make sense to have it linger all the way into the season. Um, you know, nothing's been announced. We don't know what that'll be. But I think that's, to me, that's fair. I mean, he's going to have consequences anyway through the legal system. You know, I don't remember what it is, you know, community service or whatever he has to do. So there are consequences there. And then I think you handle the other consequences internally with some sort of punishment that Mike Woodson, you know, deems and then uh, I think appropriate. And I think there's also consequences. I mean, look, when, you know, the your team captain, Trace Jackson Davis, is on a podcast or whatever, wherever he was and specifically talks about how, you know, he's going to be keeping his eye on you and you're not going to be doing any stupid stuff. You know, that's a consequence that you're talked about like that. And so I think he's got the consequence of, you know, public opinion as well. Um, so I think there are a lot of natural consequences already in addition to whatever the coaching staff surely has applied, you know, on the practice court or, you know, in the in a, you know assembly hall running steps. So personally, I don't feel like there should be additional consequences in terms of games, and I don't think there will be. Um, we'll have to see. I don't know that for sure. Um, Ryan, your thoughts on that. The question was, what should X's consequences be for his illegal behavior? I mean, I wouldn't mind him having missing the first two games of the season or something like that. I mean, I, I think that that's, you know, uh, a standard punishment. Um, I, 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 I disagree with you in that I do think there should be some consequences, but there um, have been consequences. Do, do there have to be games missed? 
I mean, I think they do need to send a message in that way. I mean, especially because it's Mike Woodson. This is what he did last year, too. You know, guys missed curfew when they missed a game. Like, you know, I mean, you, you're doing what... Sure, because they missed curfew before a game. So that's a natural consequence of doing that. That's It would be different if this happened like a week before the season. But I just think the amount of time between the occurrence and the season, I don't know. I don't it think it makes sense to me to do it. But well, I don't think that should matter. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him miss a game or two. Well, we'll see. I would be surprised at this point, but we'll see what happens. Um, from elbows in, I'm curious about the development battle between Tamar Bates and Jordan Geronimo. Who would you rather have next year at the three spot? Uh, one, the same Geronimo player, but with a consistent 36% three-point shot, or two, the same Bates player with generally improved defense? Uh, well, if that's the choice, Geronimo, but... I think Bates will be improved offensively. And my answer is, who do I want there? I want Tamar Bates. Uh, yeah. But I, I'm assuming he's going to be much better offensively. That's where I think the development needs to be. I think he's going to be better defensively anyway, just with experience. But the offense is what Bates needs to provide. And yeah. so if you're giving me those two choices, Tamar Bates the same on offense, but better defensively, Jordan Geronimo, because he can already play defense and we need somebody who can shoot. So, but if I had to ask, answer in an ideal world, who's the starter? It's, it's Tamar Bates. The upside is too high. Yeah, look, I think both guys can raise the ceiling of the team because they're yes. such talents. Um, and they have, you know, just the kind of athleticism that you need to win at the high levels of basketball. But I'm with you. Um, you know, Bates improving on defense would, is certainly important, but what he provides is a three level score. If he can shoot threes like he shot them at FanFest, you know, I think he hit 18 or 19 of them. Um, and really more than that, if he can shoot threes, you know, like we saw him at times last year and like he shot him in high school. Um, and if he can be a guy that can get to the basket, but also has a nice little pull-up game. I mean, Indiana hasn't had that, you know, since Romeo and Romeo's three point shooting, you know, came and went, but a, a true three level score. Now, Tamar is never going to be that kind of guy finishing. Um, and I don't think he'll, you know, quite have Romeo's mid range game. Um, but just to have a three level score again, would be really, really nice. Um, and I think that's the potential for what he could provide that no one else on the roster really has. Um, so I think ideally you get that from Tamar. Um, but look, if if both guys really improve, if you can get Jordan Gerano making 36% of his threes and providing the other stuff, those are definitely going to be two of your top seven or eight players, and you're going to be really yeah, good. Um, for sure. But if I had to have one, I'm going with Tamar. All uh, right. So that was a good one from Elbows In. Okay, from David. Occasionally, Ryan has mentioned replacing Assembly Hall. Discuss whether that could or would actually ever happen. What would be the ideal model for replacement? It seems like something that needs to be done, but also could never be done. How would you recycle, upcycle the limestone? Well, I'm not an expert in engineering, so I don't know about that. Um, here's Here's the thing about Assembly Hall and why I've always said there needs to be a plan to replace it. Um, it's not a great place to watch a basketball game. The atmosphere is great. The fans are great. I feel like you could get that atmosphere with these fans anywhere. Um, the problem is about a third of the seats in assembly hall are terrible to watch a game from. And there's a reason why over time as television has gotten better, fewer and fe fewer people show up. If you have a seat, more than five rows up in the balcony, there's no point in going. You can watch it on TV. Yeah, you get the experience of being there and everything, but if you know other people aren't going to show up and the atmosphere is not going to be as good as it was in the early 2000s, late 90s, 
why would you go? Go to Nick's, have a couple drinks. The atmosphere is going to be pretty great there as well. Um, I would say the ideal model, something like Michigan State has with the Breslin Center, um, where it feels like everybody's right on top of the court, or an old-style field house, maybe modeled after something like Fog Allen. Um, but I think what needs to happen is you need to have one side of the court behind the opposing bench where the students are and, and set it up so the students can be right on the floor and gaining, giving you a big advantage. Right now, it feels like the students are in sectioned off areas as opposed to being right where they need to be. Um, if you want to have an area for the high donor, the high value donors or whatever, put them across the court, um, put them all in one place uh, across the court, you know, right at midcourt, whatever the great seats on the floor. But I think you need to get with the times with the student section that is enormous, but put it in the right place, not off to the corner, raised up a little bit to the side. You need to put them right on the floor and gain an advantage from it. And I think that that building can be amazing. I've been in it when it's been amazing before. Um, I think we see that fewer and fewer times nowadays because I don't think as many people go to games anymore. They have the tickets sold, but they just the students don't show up. And it's not because they don't like basketball. It's not because they don't want the experience. It's because their seats suck. And so I think we need to create a situation. There is a way to create an arena where there isn't a terrible seat in that house. And they need to do that. Indiana basketball deserves better than what assembly hall is now. And so I know they just put a bunch of money into it and all of that. That doesn't mean you can't start planning for the future. And I think they need to start planning for the future years ago, just after I graduated the, I forget what committee it was, but they agreed to explore building a new arena and that just went away and it needs to start again. It does because I think that that building is going to be, what is it? Almost 50 years old. Um, it's yeah. starting to feel like it. I know they did a they did a facelift, but it's time to do something new and different and worth something build something worthy of Indiana basketball. If you want to be on the cutting edge, be on the cutting edge. What should the priority be? Building a new basketball arena or updating football facilities? What would you do first if you were Scott Dolson? Basketball arena, no question. Really? I mean, I know fo- I know football brings in more money and everything, but you're known. Nobody cares about nationally. Nobody cares about Indiana's football program, and it's going to stay that way. I'm sorry, you're buried in the Big Ten with a lot of good programs. You're adding another one in a couple years. Okay, I but to the but to the point that you made a few a few weeks ago when we talked about this, and it, you know, it's been made. Hey, look, you know, you can do if, both with all the money that's coming in. Okay, hold that thought. Hold that thought because I want to talk to you about that too. But, you know, we've talked about, okay, you know, the, this arms race and football. What if some of these big power conferences start trimming the fat off the bottom with the teams that don't bring anything for football? And could Indiana be one of those schools that is in danger? So, no, you're not really – you wouldn't be doing your facilities to compete with Ohio State. But don't you have to at least be constantly bringing them up to kind of the minimum of this class that you want to stay in? And where should that – where should your priorities be? Sadly, I've got news for you. Indiana's never going to be in football at a level where they won't get cut out of, of, of a major, of, of a super conference. It's, go, it's going to happen eventually. Those top football programs are going to trim the fat. And Indiana is never going to be on the level football-wise where they make it into that conversation. That's going to be Ohio State. It's going to be Notre Dame. It's going to be Michigan. It's going to be USC. It's going to be Texas. It's, you know, whatever. 
Like it's going to be the, the, well, I'm just listing the, the, the big <laughs> revenue programs. I know. It has nothing to do with performance. It's revenue. No, no. And they're going to, they're not going to want to share their revenue with Indiana, with Purdue, with Illinois. They're not going to want to. And eventually that's, what's going to happen. And people who believe in conference realignment or, or, or are accepting of conference realignment. I am not, I think it's a bad idea because I think that's where it eventually leads. And I also think, and we, we, you tweeted about this a while ago. I also think it's going to lead to the NCAA tournament cutting out the little guy and giving up those guarantees. Such a bad spots. idea. Such I a agree. bad idea. A hundred percent. But if <clears> you are do in it. these big, if you are in these big conferences, do you want more of your teams making it? Or do you want to leave open those guys getting trimmed off? You want more of your teams making it. It's a chance for more Don't money. Don't kill the golden goose, man. I completely I mean, it, agree with you. Yeah. But you're already doing away with big rivalries that make a lot of money to go with these big conferences. It's a bad it's bad for college sports. Like I'm sorry, it's bad for co- I know it's the way everything's going and so the Big 10 had to jump on it. I know that's the take. But it's bad for college sports and it's going to get worse for college sports because it's going to be it's going to create a huge distinction between the haves and have-nots and it's going to create a very small group of schools and programs that get all the money and that can basically do whatever they want with the amount of power they accumulate. And so it's going to be bad for everybody. And that's why I am so against the conference realignment and think that, that even trending in that direction is a bad idea. So but to, to answer your question, to, as we digressed for 10 minutes there, uh, I, again, basketball facility, 100%, because I think that football at Indiana is always going to be what football is in Indiana. I think it, your best case scenario is winning eight games and going to bowl games. And that's just not, whereas your best case scenario in basketball is winning national championships. And I think you need to have a national championship facility and facilities to win a national championship. And Indiana doesn't have that right now. You might get lucky. School without those facilities might get lucky. But to consistently compete, you need to have that kind of level of facility. I know NIL is is a big deal, but it feels like everybody's got NIL now. Some of the differentiating factors are facilities and coaching and opportunity and all of that stuff. You need to create world-class facilities for that to happen. All right. One more IU related question, then we'll take a break and we'll do the other questions. Uh, Scott Dolson, he spoke this week, you know, addressed this big windfall of money that's coming, uh, you know, and didn't leave a lot of IU fans inspired. (laughs) You know, by saying some things like it's kind of already been spent and it's going to trickle in a little bit. I think a lot of fans were wanting some kind of commitment to, you know, we're going to improve X facilities or we're going to do something like, hey, you know, we're getting this money. Let's do something. And it didn't really sound like much of that came from Scott Dolson. Were you did you have a reaction to those comments? Uh, and how do you rate his performance so far on the job? Um, incomplete, I would say. Uh, I want to know where all that money has been spent. If, if, if you, if you're a hundred million dollars are coming in and it's already been spent or whatever it's going to be. I mean, we know they had some budget shortfalls because of of COVID and some of those things. Of course. But I want to know how those things weren't covered in other ways or, you know, I, I, like I just, you're getting a, I mean, the whole point of expanding the conference and probably lessening your position by bringing in a program like USC, I think you fall down one in the pecking order. Let's be real with Los Angeles, with USC and, and UCLA of Los Angeles behind them. You're probably dropping in the pecking order in the conference. The whole reason you do that is for the money. 
And if the money's not really going to benefit you, I mean, other than covering your bills, was it really worth it? Um, so yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to understand uh, where that's going. And uh, if it's just budget shortfalls, then that's unfortunate. Um, but one thing I warned about, about, you know, these new big conferences and everything, a lot of that money goes into the salaries of the people who negotiate the deals. Uh, a, a larger chunk, a larger chunk than you would like. And it's not just them, it's the lawyers and the, you know, people who surround them. I'm not saying that's what's happening here, but I'm saying you see that across college sports is that money does not, they all, they all tout it as, oh, the players are going to get, you know, going to benefit tremendously from this. Not really. I mean, you know, to some degree, maybe, but it's the people that get paid are the people who negotiate these deals. They wind up grabbing a lot of money for themselves in the process. Okay, well, that will do it for part one of the mailbag. We will come back for part two. A couple good IU football questions, actually, that we will hit. Uh, and then some other fun ones, like who would win a driveway pickup game between the two of us and why? We'll answer that. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring... The best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Apparently the Purdue fans are doing their normal chant during the Penn State game. We're not obsessed with you. Okay. Sure. You're so annoying. Yes. So... Um, yeah, guys, I look, I know a lot of people didn't love my my rant about the Big Ten adding two new teams, but and potentially more. But there's a reason why I'm against it and why I was against it. And from both ends, I'm, I, I think it's dumb for USC and UCLA. And I think that the Big Ten is I don't think it's great for Indiana. I don't. And um, I'll stick to that until I see evidence otherwise. I think USC and UCLA put themselves at a tremendous competitive disadvantage by joining the big 10. I mean, maybe things will change in a couple of years and there'll be like one more, one or two more California schools and they'll play a lot of games out there or something, but having to go 1500 miles to your closest away game in football or basketball is that's not good for the players in, in no way is that good for the players, it's not good for their families. It's not good for any of that stuff. So I, I, I how do you assess their downside risk though? If they didn't make the jump now, and the conferences continue to you know, I think consolidate the I think, in this way. 
I think what should have happened is the Pac-12 should have snagged the top Big 12 teams um, and created something there. And that way you still have a huge slice of teams you're playing not far from you. And then you can jump to Oklahoma State. You can jump to Kansas, whatever you decide to pick. Now, it wouldn't be as marquee. It wouldn't be as high end as being able to play Ohio State every other year or something like that or Michigan. But again, like every other year you're playing Ohio State at the at the horseshoe or Michigan at the big house, like, you know, or basketball, you're flying all the way to Rutgers and then playing Maryland and then having to fly all the way across the country. I mean, they have to fly across the country way more than the other teams do. And that wears you down. Like people can say, Oh, they have planes and they have, you know, charter travel and that you still have to make the flight, you know, not everyone sleeps on airplanes, you know, and, and some of them have to study and do all that stuff. I mean, it's exhausting not sleeping in your own bed for a whole week, which is what this may wind up being for some of these kids. Cause they may just stay on the East coast, you know, go to Rutgers yeah, I mean, and just stay there and then go to Maryland. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's rough and it's tough on those players. And I think this whole thing, I mean, I know it's not true. And I, and, and I know that it's all about money and we all know that. So I'm being very like altruistic trying to have this, you know, small-minded view of it. But I think everything that these schools do should be geared towards the student athletes and it should have them in mind. This move does not have student athletes in mind whatsoever. So I shouldn't laugh at that, but it is kind of laughable. You're absolutely right. It is laughable. And that's the sad thing. That is the sad part of it. Nobody cares. They're doing this because it's best for the schools and the athletic departments not the players. And anybody who says otherwise is full of garbage. Not a single player is going to be tremendously better off. Yeah, you get exposure against better teams and stuff, but the percentage of players that wind up playing professionally anyway is so small that those guys are going to make the NBA anyway, are going to make the NFL anyway. Playing an extra two games against top-level competition isn't really going to change a whole lot. No, but for the football and basketball players, you know, it could increase their NIL opportunities by being with one of the, you know, the power conferences. I mean, look, there's there's really bad collateral damage for the athletes. I mean, exactly. We talked about that the first night. But it's just, it is about money. And that's the problem is these You're right. decisions are made rationally based on money. And so I get it from USC and UCLA's perspective why they looked at the downside risk and the sinking ship that is the Pac-12, and wanted to latch on. Um, don't, but it's not I, I without the collateral damage, like you said. I, you know, and I, I don't disagree. I mean, I get again, I get why everybody did it. Like, it's not like I sit here and say, why did they do it? Like, I get it. It's all about money. Like, I'm not, I'm not stupid. I just think that... Pete Bell told us decision, this a long time ago. I, I, I just think that making your decision solely based on that and basically ignoring any concerns associated with student-athletes is kind of gross. And it's just, that's what college sports is now. And I think it's kind of gross. And honestly, I think it's a lot less fun and it's become a lot less fun. I still love doing this show. I still love watching. Kind of with you, kind of with you on that, man. You know, it's funny. A lot of the guys that I listen to on the radio here in Dallas have talked about that. And it's, it's this weird thing because, okay, not like I'm totally with you on, on the conference realignment. Like I understand why they do it and I can even defend why they do it. But man, give me the old Big Ten or just like the Big Ten with Penn State. Like those, that was my favorite time. Um, and it is weird, but you know, you think about like NIL and some of the things that players are getting, and I've been for all of that. I don't but mind there NIL. Is, at all. No, but there is something viscerally, I just feel it 
And I don't want it to be just like old fuddy-duddy wanting the way things were. And so I can't separate out if maybe that's part of it. But there is something about college sports now to me that I just feel less connected to than I used to. Yeah. I mean, and it's maybe hard. it's just changed it's not, and we're getting not... old. And maybe that's a big part of it. But I think it goes a little deeper than that, honestly. I do like too. I, you know? Uh, no, I, I, I do too. And I think that, look, the conference realignment stuff, again, is all about finances. And that's it. And, and, and so when, when it's based on that, at least there was the illusion of this kind of magical thing that was college sports. Like the tournament felt pure, even though it never was, it felt like, you know, these kids are just out there playing for X, Y, and Z. Now they're playing, you know, it's all about promoting conferences and promoting this and promoting that. And, you know, it's just, I'm all for the players making the money. I have no problem with NIL. I think it's great. I think it's the, one of the best things college sports has done in a long, long time. I'm okay with the players making money. I don't find that gross. I find the conferences and the athletic programs skimming every dollar they can. I find that gross. And it's, yeah. kind, of, it's kind of made it less fun for me. I, I appreciate the old rivalries. All right. <clears throat> Well, on that uplifting note, let's yeah, let's keep talking college sports. Uh, all right, here we go. Let's let's hit up segment three. <clears throat> What's up, y'all? It's Devonte Green giving you the green light to watch Assembly Call after every IU game. Just don't listen to their opinions about shot selection. Remember, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Go Hoosiers! Thank you, Devontae. You are listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris. I'm here with Ryan Phillips. And Ryan, let's do part two of our mailbag. We hit up a lot of our IU basketball questions in the last segment, and now we've got a potpourri of additional questions. We'll go here for about 15, 20 more minutes and see how many of these we can hit. Uh, let's pick up uh, the, the football ones because I think there's a couple of interesting ones. From uh, our buddy C-Dub, should the bucket game be played week one each season? And from Craig, should it be played in Indianapolis? And I've heard this talked about, you know, that do you change the bucket to maybe give it a, a little bit more of a highlight instead of it, you know, kind of falling into the background sometimes when it's played? Uh, I don't buy any of it. I would keep it at the end of the season. I think it's great to end the season uh, with it. Um, so I certainly wouldn't move it. Do you put it in Indianapolis? No, because college sports should be played on campuses. So I get like why people brainstorm about this stuff, but ultimately I think you got to keep it right where it is. Rivalry games should be played at the end of the season. That's yeah. I, I like I college football rivalry games. USC UCLA, the crosstown rivalry. Cause it's, the, it's a build up to it all season long Big game. Like, yeah, yeah I, I agree. And, and it's sort of like, especially when the, the both programs are good, you'd be like, well, they're on a collision course all season. You can kind of build up when they're bad. It's this is going to salvage our season is beating yeah, these guys. Yeah. This is the you IU know, Purdue rivalry. So let's linger more for. on that second part. <laughs> yeah. It's something to play for. And I've been on both ends of that, by the way. Uh, and um, I like, honestly, I will say as a USC fan, I prefer when they play Notre Dame at the end of the season to finish the season. Then, yeah. I mean, part of that is because the weather is great and it's, you know, it's beautiful in November and in, in LA as opposed to playing in October in South Bend, but the weather's usually not a factor in those games anyway. Um, Cause it's too early in, in, in Indiana at that point. But uh, I just, I love when they play each other at the end of the season and it dictates something for the season and they're non-conference rivals too. So you could have 
a team in a conference championship game, you know, it doesn't affect them even if they lose, but it's still a cutthroat rivalry game. You know, the one argument, and Joel makes it here, move it because no students ever go because it's on Thanksgiving break. That would be the, you know, the one reason to maybe put it a week later if you could or do something to it. But I think you've got to keep it at the end of the season, um, especially the IU-Purdue rivalry. Like, it's just, in football, it's never going to be a national rivalry. You know, it's a regional rivalry, you know, obviously that fans in this state care about and not a whole lot of other people. Um, so anyway, uh, good. Let's hit up this next question while Ryan is gone. Who would win and why in a driveway pickup game between you two when you were each in your basketball prime? Uh, all right, I'll read the question again since Ryan just got back. Are you, is your audio on? All right, who would win and why in a driveway pickup game between the two of you when you were each in your basketball prime? Uh, you know, this is, it's hard to answer because we didn't see each other, uh, in our basketball prime from what we know of your game. You know, you're a relatively tall lad, six, three, six, four, right? You apparently had a, yeah, you had a good mid range game, some decent athleticism back before, you know, some the knee injuries bulldog uh, defender got you. Yeah. Um, I will say this, I think it would be very competitive because we're both very prideful people. Uh, who would really want to win? And I think by there, the time it by the time it there, got close to the end, it would be very physical. Uh, there would be a lot of bruises. There'd be bruises. There would be trash talk. Um, yes. uh, and you know it would be interesting. Um, I think it would come down. You know, as you said, you're a good defender. You know, I was a player one on one. I could go inside and outside. I had some post moves because I came up as kind of a post guy and then became a shooter later on. So I had some versatility, but your height would have, would have caused some problems. Um, so I don't know. I would certainly bet on myself, but I would do that anyway, but it's hard to say without having seen you in your prime. I think it would be a highly competitive game. I would be very respectful of what you would bring to the court and it would bring out my best is what I would say. Uh, I I agree that it would bring out my best because we're both so competitive. Uh, I think I would win. I had a versatile offensive game. I was a very good shooter. Uh, but defense wins wins championships, and yes. uh, I was I was a a bulldog defender, and the length the length it would be tough to deal with I think so I, I think if it wound up if it was two on two and you could come off screens and shoot, uh, I I I'm not saying you would beat me, but I could I'd shoot have, off the dribble, but not against me. Um, <laughs> I do think I'd out rebound you though. I do think I would out rebound. I so yeah, of course I'm gonna say me. Um, but again, respectful of the fact that you grew up in Indiana and were a shooter, uh, weird that that happened there. Uh, who would have thought? Strange. Yeah. How uh, does that happen? <laughs> uh, uh, a decently sized white guy who could shoot from Indiana. I mean, shocking that that's, that that yeah, Jim says play at the fantasy camp next year and find out. The problem is the question asked about us in our prime. Yeah. Uh, and, and let's you have done, you've done some good work losing weight recently. So you're now closer to your athletic prime than I am. Uh, although this would be a very good impetus to do that. So maybe we do at some point, we need to just schedule like the assembly call one-on-one tournament. It would bring out all of our competitiveness. Uh, we'd get in shape quick, but yes, we'd both pull hammies. The game would probably end after three possessions, uh, with both of us limping off the court, unable to finish. Um, but a fun question distinct, and it certainly would be fun. possibility. Uh, I also haven't picked up a basketball since the beginning of COVID. So I should probably start doing that again, but yeah. Uh, Yes. Uh, our random and ridiculous question comes from ACG, the GPS on Twitter. 
if the San Diego Padres came to Bart Kaufman Field to play the IU Baseball Boys in an exhibition game, how and why would they blow it? <laughs> I like uh, I like how he's assuming the the one the of our pitchers. One of our pitchers would come in and walk three people. They'd relieve him. The first guy would come in, give up a sack fly. A couple guys would move up, and it'd be like, okay, he's going to get out of it. And then they'd hit a three-run homer. Uh, and then offensively, they would they would leave like twenty men on base without driving anybody in. So that's how they'd blow it. Is they'd have like they'd have like at least two on in five innings. Sometimes bases loaded, and just not be able to get the big hit. That's all. Juan Soto would walk a lot. He'd do what he's supposed to do. Uh, Manny Machado would absolutely tear the cover off the ball and nobody else would do anything. And Fernando Tatis wouldn't be available. He would not be available. No, for, <laughs> for reasons we want this. Yeah, for, for who knows why. Uh, okay. This is an interesting question here from Jamie. What thing do you guys wish you did better in life? And what is your closest team you root for? That's not IU. Um, what do you wish you did better in life? Better in, Oh my God. We really want to start a list. Um, Ha. What's the first thing that came to your mind? Like what's the what's the gut reaction that you had when hearing that question? Better in life. Uh spent more time with my nieces and nephews. I haven't been able to do that as much. They're across the country from me and I just don't get to see them as much. So that's number one. Those are the those are the kids that mean the most to me in my life. Uh so that's number one. Um I think I passed on a couple job opportunities when I was younger that I should have taken advantage of. Um thought I was in the right place for me and maybe wasn't uh, and got advice to go after them and didn't um, mm. live and learn kids. When people give you uh, who care about you, give you advice, take it. Um, and then what was the other part? Oh, closest team I root for non-IU. We kind of know yours uh, on this. He said well, that's more of a me question than for you because we know yeah, yours. Yeah, it's, it's Padres, obviously, or the big San Diego one, and then USC football. I've always been a USC football fan since I went there, and that's, that's the probably way, secondary. By the way, I found out uh, last week, we've become good friends with a lot of our neighbors around here you know, because mm-hmm. our kids all play together, and one of them is from San Diego and apparently dated one of the Spanos kids. <laughs> that is unfortunate. <laughs> I need to find out. I need to find, find out, out which one. My, yeah, I and, need to find, out. find my out. Wife, my wife told me that. And I was like, I have to tell Ryan. I was like, he hates that family with a burning I passion. I absolutely do. I grew up with the t- both the two kids. And they're terrible, terrible people. The dad is even worse. They are oh, horrible. They're the I, kind of people who treat like wait staff terribly. Oh, God. That's the and worst. don't tip well. Like that kind of person that you just see at a restaurant complaining about everything. But not complaining like, Hey, can I talk to the manager? Because this we don't really think this is great. They complain to the person serving them and treat them like absolute garbage. And then when the person makes every effort to make things right, don't tip them well either. Yeah, that's who they are. All right, I'll take a stab at this. Uh, what do I wish I did better in life? Uh, I wish I kept up with old friends better. Um, I'm not good at that. And I actually realized that just today when I was texting with one of my best friends from college and realized that like, and she actually lives here in Dallas, uh, down in Dallas. And we haven't seen each other since my son was born. I was like, holy crap. And it would be very easy to make excuses. Like, well, we bought a new house. Son was born. Like all this stuff happened. The truth is I just didn't make it enough of a priority to keep up with someone who has been a very meaningful friend in my life. Uh, A lot of friends from high school that I keep up with some, 
but I tend to be the one who kind of like falls out and doesn't always keep up with that. And I wish I did that better because those are really important relationships um, and friendships that kind of remind you of who you were at different points in your life. Um, and so I wish I did that better. And I'm working on making an effort to do that. Um, fortunately, we have this, you know, weekly Thursday meeting here where we can all uh, get together and hang out. And that, and but there's a good lesson there. It's like when you schedule something and you make it a priority, it happens, you know? And so we all get together regularly and we stay up, but we have, you know, it's like in our schedule to do it. And I think that's part of the problem is just prioritizing it. I too often let it get pushed aside by other things. And it should be, it's one, you know, you've got like the four quadrants, right? It's like important and urgent, you know, urgent, non-important, all that. And sometimes the things that, the things that are important but non-urgent don't get done. Um, and I need to get better about some of those things that are important but non-urgent, making sure they surface to the priority list enough. Uh, what is your closest team you root for that's not IU? You know, it's probably the White Sox, although to be fair, I don't follow baseball as much as I used to. Um, the teams I follow the most and actually find myself rooting for the most now are uh, Green Bay Packers and Texas A&M because I end up watching all their games with my wife uh, and seeing she gets very intense uh, and our house is better when those teams are winning. And so I have by proxy, but I've just, you know, it's one of those things. It's like, uh, you know, when you follow something and you just get to know it, you kind of become a fan. And so I've just gotten to know a lot more about AM football and about the Packers. And so I've become uh, fans of those programs. Uh, and so I would say now those are probably the closest teams I actually root for other than IU. Uh, would be those. Um, let's see here. Which other one do we want to do? Uh, we did get this question from, this was from Josiah. Uh, and he said he's a diehard Orioles fan, born in Maryland, and he's gritted through the past several years of rebuilding. Will the O's continue their surprising season, earn a wild card? And if so, will they make any postseason noise? Well, I had to go to former Assembly Call intern Seth Tao to get the answer because he is a big Baltimore Orioles fan, always tweeting about them in my Twitter timeline. Uh, and so here's what he said. He said, he said, sure. Hope so. Lots of talent. My expectations are still low, but that's why this season has been so much fun. The success was so unexpected that there's no real threat of big picture disappointment could flame out and still be a good season. Just playing with house money. Now, man, those seasons are the most fun ones as a fan, aren't they? Well, you expect nothing. You expect yeah. nothing. But but you know you've kind of got some good young players, so you expect nothing, but you kind of feel like something's coming, and maybe it comes a year early, like we always reflect on the 2012 season, you know, where it's like they kind of broke through a year earlier than you thought they might, and it just feels like the whole season is just kind of this fun rocket ship. There's no expectations, that feeling of playing with house money, so enjoy it, Orioles fans, because like, no matter what happens moving forward, this will probably be the most fun you'll have. Yeah. Uh, I'll say uh, I don't know if they're going to make the wild card. It's going to be tough because that's a that's a really good race for the last wild card. Because the White Sox are about to go on a run. Right, of course. Because Tony exactly is out. So. I will say this. Adley Rushman is already the best catcher in Major League Baseball, and he's played like 80 games. And he's Damn. already the best catcher. Uh, Gunnar Henderson, you guys are going to love him. He just came up. I think he had his, he's played like one game so far, but he was a top prospect, maybe two. Um, so I think he's going to be a lot of fun, uh, great young team that has been sadly down for a long time, but because they've been down for a long time, they've been able to stockpile some prospects. Those two guys are going to be the future and, uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun to watch them play. 
even for a non-Orioles fan. And uh, let's let me put it this way: Camden Yards, still a great ballpark. I've been; it's awesome. So pack that yeah, place, awesome. pack that place for the, those young players. All right, let's make this the last question. Uh, also from Josiah: If you could institute one on-court rule change and one off-court rule change in college basketball, what changes would you make? And why would the on-court change be the block charge call? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, ta- I'll take the on-court one first, uh, and I will echo the sentiments of good friend of the show, Mark Titus, that we need to rework the entire charge call in college basketball and really basketball altogether. Um, I wouldn't completely do away with charges. You know, why is Alexa going off? Um, you know, there needs to be something if a defensive player is just stationary and an offensive player is just completely out of control. But I think a charge should be much more of an extreme call than it is. Um, And we need to get rid of some of the charges that get taken right under the basket because they're dangerous Dangerous. and they remove some of the most fun and artistic moments in basketball. So, and as Mark said, it just gives, you know, people like him a way to play defense without actually playing defense. Um, and I've, I fully, I didn't agree with that at first, but I agree with it now. And so I would completely rework the charge call. It should not be as big of a thing in basketball as it is. I've been saying it for years, but Mark Titus goes ahead and says it. And now you believe it. It's the, you know, great. Yes. Really appreciate that. Uh, I, I, okay. That's, that's the number one for me. I'd also move to six fouls for elimination. Yes. Five. Yes. Um, but block charge is number one for me. I also would consider, five fouls for free throws, but reset at 10 minutes at the 10 minute mark, reset it. So you're basically doing quarters essentially without doing quarters. Cause I know that's too much of a change for a lot of people. Um, but at 10 minutes reset, you know, the first stoppage after 10 minutes, reset the fouls, not at the 10 minute mark, but at the first stoppage after 10 minutes, you reset to five fouls again. Um, so that way you're shooting earlier. It's an incentive not to foul, but then, you know, five and eight being one shot, two shots. Um, or something like that. You know, we figure it out. People would, but I think that resetting that foul number at some point is fair. So you don't get a team in the bonus three minutes into the first half and just have the other team shooting free throws the entire time. I think that ruins the game. It also leads to a less to less flow in the game. And I think players hate it. And I hate, I think, I think fans hate it too. Um, block yeah. charts, definitely moving to six fouls though. I think I'm that so is with you on that. Keep, keep yeah. the better players on the court, man. Yeah. It's just, it's too much of a penalty. You're playing to, 40 minutes and yes. the players are much more athletic, faster these days. It's harder to play defense. You're going to get some collisions and you're going to get some bad calls too. That gives you more leeway on it a gives bad you buffer. Call. Yes. Yeah. Against, and with college officiating. Yes. Let's give, let's give the best players a little bit of leeway. I would agree. Uh, Dominic says, what do you guys think of the, oh, what about ending? off court? <clears throat> what about off court? Uh, off court. I feel like I would. I think I would give coaches back some of the time to work with players in the off season. I think off season. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Especially now that things are more explicitly professional, <laughs> you know, um, I would maybe I would not head coach. Maybe, maybe yeah. you take the head coach out of the equation or whatever, but I feel like there should be a lot of practice time in the off season. If you want it, um, yes. maybe you couldn't figure out like, you know, a happy medium. So you're not overworking college players and all of that stuff. But I do think there should be more practice time. I 100% agree with that. Uh, I haven't really thought this fully through. So point out a flaw in this. 
But I think right now teams can only do those off season trips like once every four or five years, right? They should be able to do it every other year. Or every yeah, year. I would yeah. I would make that more frequent um, because I think that's a great experience for players to have. There's lots of money, uh, and I I just think that's a good off season experience for players. And allow the schools to, to broad, allow the schools to broadcast them. Somehow. Yeah, and coaches might not like that. Yeah, I mean, if they want to, I would say, but I, I, I think you should. I mean, it builds hype. But then for you'd the have season. idiots doing post game shows after these yeah. ragged off season games. You definitely Didn't don't we do want a post game show once for like a box score of a yes, <laughs> yes, yeah, we did, we did. Um, hey, but you know what? That's yeah, why there's all say, this money for know, NIL is because there's this it, kind of crazy interest. So, in our defense, it was a really good show. It's a great box score too. I mean, there was, and so many takes from that box score that proved lasting throughout the season. What was that? Uh, Indiana play Marquette. Was that what it was under Archie Miller? Was Was it Marquette? No, wasn't it? um, Was it Marquette? (laughs) I don't even remember. They had one. Who did they cancel against? Was it Belmont? They played Belmont once. That was last year. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Oh man. Um, okay. So those are the rules. Uh, if you have rules that you would change on quarter off, send us a tweet at assembly call or shoot us an email, Jared at assembly We get a lot of good emails, uh, after, uh, the, uh, what was the recent one that we did about who knows it's the off season. They all run together, man. Let's be yeah, real. They do. We've gotten lots of good emails recently. So send in the emails because we do read them and we always reply to them. Um, and so we like, we like hearing your takes. All right. Any final thoughts? Valerie says, yes, it was Marquette. Oh, Loyola. Yeah. Brian says Loyola. I think there was a Loyola one in there. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah. Anyway. Um, all right. Uh, any final thoughts, Ryan on football Eve as another season of Indiana football gets ready to begin. Visit the big Please. Just click it. Just one. It's the beginning of a new month. We 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 got as many people on there as possible. Get him some clicks. Thank you. There's get plenty of good stuff. There's actually some really fun content today. Go. You watch Brandon Crawford get ejected while playing shortstop, which I have never seen before in my life. Uh, a defensive player getting ejected wow. while standing out there arguing with a with an Very nice. last night. Very nice. Uh, but no, right. uh, let's. Uh, I'm looking forward to you know basketball season starting to ramp up. What do you got about a month, man? Just a month, four shows left, and we'll have basketball. Well, no, we're not going to have basketball until November. No, we'll have we'll be we'll have stuff happening. To talk now. to that, yeah. Yes, stuff. Just hopefully, Content. good stuff. Yeah. Everybody, stay safe, stay smart. Let's get to the season. Don't tailgate too much, kids. Nope. Just be be cool out there. Let's get to the season. All right, uh, that is going to do it for us on this week's edition of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, you can join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Thank you, as always, to Bob Thompson for producing the music that you hear on the show, and thank you to John Ringer of rigdesign.com for designing our logos and for designing the new logo for the Doing the Work crew, uh, which looks awesome. And thank you, as always, for listening. We will be back to talk with you next Thursday night. Until then. Take it from me, Juwan Morgan. Keep your elbows in, eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. All right. I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. San Diego chicken. Always with that last one. Always with that one. All right.
I got to go start cleaning my house because we're having people over tomorrow. My, the guy who lives across the street from me is, is a big Missouri fan. So he's very excited to watch the apparent beginning of the Connor Bazelak era. And by the way, it is Bazelak. It's two syllables. Dustin Dupirak confirmed this. It's not, not Bazelak or Bazelak. It's Bazelak. Two syllables. Bazelak. It's going to take a little while to get used to that. He's uh, smoking a pork butt, I think, and bringing that over. And so have the kids over and a lot of neighbors. As I put in the text, you can come watch two Big Ten football teams compete for 13th place in the Big Ten. Because that <laughs> may be what this game ends up becoming. But hopefully not. Hopefully it's a step in the right direction uh, for Indiana. It's easy to make jokes, but man, I want Tom Allen to succeed. I like Tom Allen. I do too. You know, I have, we all have issues, I think, with some of his game management and the coaching, but I think universally Indiana fans want him to succeed. So all they've got to do is give some glimmers of real things to latch onto. And I think a lot of IU football fans will kind of, I mean, not with the fervor that we had at the beginning of last season, but they want to believe and buy into yeah. this. You know, it's not like they don't like the guy, but well, he might bring us a winner. It's like, we like Tom Allen. We want this to work. So just give us something. Give us something. I agree, my friend. Especially given some of the other coaches we've had over the last, I don't know, 20-something years. I mean, yeah, it's about time to stick with one who can actually win. But they got, they, I mean, they got to hit on one eventually, right? I mean, just the, the percentages. They hit on Mallory. They probably would have hit on Hepner. You know? Yeah, I think Coach Shep given enough time. I think that would have taken five years. But yeah, I was, I was, my senior year was his first year. It's always going to take three or four years for an Indian yeah, football coach. It took Bill Mallory for sure. four years to build it up. You know, for sure. I mean, yeah, it's just that's how it's going to be at Indiana. But you build it up, and then, you know, you have some down a down year here and there, but you get it back going. So hopefully, that's what this is. Let's All do right, it. guys. All right, man. We'll see y'all. Take care, everybody.